Welcome to another Pinch Gut podcast. My name is Genevieve Lang and uh, I've been a long time fan like yourself, no doubt, or maybe you're new to Pinch Gut, but uh, I love Pinch Gut and everything that it does. And so it is a great pleasure to be once again with Erin Helliard to talk about the concert that you are on your way to see, Women of the Pieta. Erin Helliard, why did Venice and in particular uh, these composers come together in your mind as a concert program. Genevieve, it's so lovely to talk to you again. Um, look, this is a program I've been wanting to do for a long time and actually stems from some work I did when I was in Montreal and I was a member of a wonderful ensemble called Ensemble Caprice. And we recorded a wonderful disc called Vivaldi's Angels. Uh, and this was about 10, 10 years ago, even more than that. And it was a recreation of some of the sacred music for all the women at the Ospedale del, uh, del Pietà, which Vivaldi was associated with in the early 18th century. And it was a real eye-opener for me, not only in terms of repertoire, but also for the sound that we were able to recreate. And so for the longest time, I've wanted to do my own version of uh, exploring this amazing sound world of Venice at the time. And that's where this project came from. So the Ospedale della Pietà that you referred to was essentially an orphanage, wasn't it? That's right. So it's a really extraordinary moment in music history that we have in Venice in the 16th century, the Serene Republic, as it was known, instituted the very first formal musical institutions to educate women outside the convent. And they were given the names Ospedale, or ospedali, which is the plural, which just actually means hospitals. And of course, they got that name because amongst other things, they were orphanages. But by the time we get to Vivaldi's era in the 18th century, these ospedali were actually like conservatoriums. They were places where people actually went to study music, uh, in addition to their enormous um, important duties of looking after poor children, um, children who either were very sick um, or disabled, in fact, or, yeah, were childless in some respect. And it's an extraordinary story, the, the Ospedali. And they, they survived all the way till the 19th century. So they're, um, you know, for four centuries, they educated generations and generations of talented female musicians. It is amazing, isn't it? And, and Vivaldi came to that place and that role through his um, ordination as a priest is my understanding, but they weren't only singing and performing sacred music, were they? That's right. Actually, by the time uh, Vivaldi was associated with the Pietà, which was just one of four ospedali, um, they were sort of rival institutions, in fact, and each of these ospedali would put on concerts that were intended to sort of outperform their rivals. And it was also a tourist destination. In fact, a lot of the knowledge that we get about the ospedale at Vivaldi's time comes from accounts from tourists. And one of the most famous tourists who came to listen to the women at the ospedale was the French prime minister at the time. His name is Charles de Brosse. And he, he talks about how when you go to these concerts, you would see the girls behind grills. So they, for sort of decency's sake, they weren't put on performance, but somewhat hidden. And 
he was astounded by their musicality. And he notes, amongst other things, that they were playing many instruments that at the time were associated with men. So, for example, all the music that was written for them, they played all the parts, including the horns, bassoons. In fact, Rousseau, who also went to visit one of the Ospedali, he talks about, he says, there's nothing prettier than seeing one of these girls play the bassoon. <laughs> and I guess in some respects he was also commenting on how unusual it was um, to see women of that age playing these instruments that were generally only played by men. So it's a really extraordinary and fascinating moment in music history and it's wonderful to shed a light on it in this way by presenting some of the great music that was written for them. So there's so many images that what you've just said conjure in my mind. One is that somehow we're, we're understanding this period of time in music, classical music's history because of postcards. <laughs> when you say that the tourists were the ones who gave the accounts of what the concerts were like, I love that. And then this, there's almost a sort of um, titillation around screening the women and girls off from the audience that you know, I wonder what it would have happened if we had seen them on stage in full, you know, uh, full gown finery, that kind of thing, and what sort of a riot that might have stirred. And also the, the idea of Venice, because it is these days still a tourist town. And even back in the 17th and 18th centuries, that's exactly what it was, right? Exactly. And you're right to pick up that titillating aspect. In fact, many scholars have written about it because Rousseau and Charles de Brosse and all these men that came and, and viewed the girls, it's, there's no doubt that they were, they were somewhat titillated by this unusual um, circumstance of these all-female orchestras and choirs. But that shouldn't detract from the fact that they had important civic and musical duties in Venice. And so the sacred music that we're presenting in Women of the Pietà were written for church services and they were legitimate musicians in their own right. And many of them went on to become opera singers. Um, very few became instrumentalists. We're just doing more research on that. But definitely Vivaldi and all the other uh, famous musicians that worked at the Ospedale had an enormous positive influence on female musical education. And I wanted to explore that a little bit as well. Yeah, amazing. There was one uh, instrumentalist who stands out to me, the, um, the violinist and eventually composer, Anna della Pietà, who actually That's studied right. the Ospedale forever, um, for whom Vivaldi wrote a lot of his music, didn't he? That's right, yeah. That's amazing. And um, some of our colleagues in Europe have done some wonderful work on presenting some of the music that was written for this particular um, musician. Um, we're not featuring any of the works uh, that was, she may have been involved in playing in the orchestra. But the wonderful thing is when you look at the scores from this period, Vivaldi and Galuppi and all the others that were associated with the Ospedali write the names of the girls in their score. Um, so we do have a clear idea of who was singing and who was playing in some of these documents. And it, it really does, along with those postcards, as you say, it really fleshes out a sort of unwritten history of women in music at this time. Yeah, wow, amazing. Um, I want to touch briefly on the name you just mentioned, Baldessare Galuppi, because he is the um, outlier in this program of an otherwise all Vivaldi concert. Who was he and why have you chosen one of his pieces? 
So Galuppi's a composer I've had an enormous respect for for a long time, in fact, since um, his bicentennial uh, back in the late 90s um, uh, stimulated a whole bunch of recordings. Um, he was, in, he's in many respects, the musical heir to Vivaldi's style. Um, and he, the uh, presence of a work by Galuppi on our program is, as you say, is a sort of outlier, but I wanted to, to draw a line from Vivaldi's late style, which is represented here by the beautiful motet Laudate Pueri, to Galuppi's style in the 1760s and 70s, when he was actually working uh, at the Mendicanti, uh, which was a rival institution um, in Venice, not at the Pietà, um, although he, he certainly worked there earlier. But Galuppi had an extraordinary relationship with Venice, and this Dixit Dominus survives in the original SSAA scoring. And that, when I say that, I mean two sopranos and two altos, which reflects the all-female disposition of the choir. But what's interesting, Genevieve, is for the Magnificat and for other sacred works that Vivaldi wrote for the Pietà, they exist in what we call SATB scoring, so soprano, alto, tenor and bass. And the big mystery for Vivaldi scholars and performers for about 40 years is how did these women sing the bass and tenor parts? And then a wonderful scholar called Michael Talbot sort of unpicked all the mysteries surrounding this back in the 1980s. And he discovered that in Venice, they cultivated a very special type of bass female singing, where they actually did sing very low, possibly not as low as a male bass, but almost as low as a tenor, as a male tenor. Now, unfortunately, he showed that this style of singing for women sort of died out in the 19th century. Uh, but when we look at some of the scores that were uh, performed in various versions, some composers like Vivaldi and Galuppi have versions in SATB for a mixed choir. Well, it would have been boys at the time, of course, in both the upper parts. Um, and then in the all-female version, you see that what happens is the bass line is taken up an octave. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing in our performance of um, the Women of the Pietà with the Magnificat by Vivaldi. But we're very lucky in the Galuppi to have a authentic set of parts written for women and women's ranges. It's a beautiful work and it's only 20 years after Vivaldi died. So it's a really lovely musical journey for our audience and it closes our program. Yeah, beautiful. I want to come back to um, Miriam Allen, who is the soprano joining Pinchgut Opera and she's been on stage for, for many previous productions and I know she's very excited to be coming back to Australia for these concerts. But um, listening to the playlist that you put together uh, on Spotify for this program, I was struck in some of the works by the vocal maturity that was required of the solo voice and thinking about Vivaldi and the orphanage and the foundlings and I'm not entirely clear on the age of some of these performers, but it seemed to me that he was asking a lot of his singers. Yes, and also indeed when you look at Bach's work, I mean, Bach was asking a lot of those eight-year-old boys <laughs> at 6am yeah. on a Sunday. And Vivaldi's, the, you're absolutely right to pick that up. The two motets that we're performing with Miriam, who is a dear, dear friend, and I'm just so proud of Miriam's success. She's a, she's a Pinchgut alumnus, alumna, I should say, and um, we're so proud of her. She's gone on to 
amazing, amazing work with uh, colleagues and friends that we deeply respect here at Pinchgut, including Les Arts Florisson. Um, and so I'm so excited to be doing this repertoire. She excels in this kind of repertoire and, in fact, embodies many of the traits of those original female virtuosi that Vivaldi wrote for. Mm. Um, in Furore, which is the first motet that Miriam will sing in our program, uh, has a very clear lineage to the Pietà. So it would have been performed in a liturgical context um, by one of the star singers at the Pietà. The second motet, Laudate Pueri, that Miriam will be singing, uh, is probably Vivaldi's greatest solo showpiece for soprano, no question. And it's interesting, it seems to probably have its progeny in Venice, but then we find copies of it uh, popping up in Dresden. So it was actually quite popular. And also there's a Roman source. So Vivaldi put it in his in his suitcase when he went traveling. Um, and indeed some of the singers that may have worked on it originally in Venice took it uh, abroad as well. And uh, it's highly virtuosic, beautiful writing. And as I said earlier, emblematic of Vivaldi's late style, which is a really extraordinary style. Vivaldi in his fifties, uh, it's, it's amazing. We don't nearly perform enough late Vivaldi. Well, I'm really, really looking forward to hearing Miriam in those performances. And I understand that you're also doing a solo concert with her at some point, Erin. Yes, I'm really lucky this year to be uh, one of the artists in residence at the Melbourne Recital Centre. And of course, Women of the Pietà is being presented in Melbourne in the beautiful acoustics there at the Elizabeth Murdoch Hall. Uh, and then the week after our Pinchgut tour concludes, Miriam and I are performing a leader concert in the same hall at the Melbourne Recital Centre. And we're doing a beautiful program on the MRC's gorgeous Walter Forte Piano of Schubert Haydn and I'm performing some Mozart and also a female composer, a student of Mozart, Josefa Aunhammer. So I'm really excited to be doing that with Miriam because that's, she's so multi-talented um, and to be able to do the classical repertoire with her is just an immense joy and it's wonderful to be able to um, continue my work um, as the artist in residence in this way. I'm really excited. Yeah, great. I will never forget Miriam's performance in Giazzone Cavalli's opera and the lament in the third act just had my body my my, my soul was in tears listening to her <laughs> <laughs> just... oh that is one of my favorite um operas we've done with pinch and also miriam's uh one of her star moments and yeah. uh, she's really gone on to such wonderful things and it's really thrilling also to have cantillation um, involved in this performance with our all-female choir um and uh and our orchestra as well. So we start the program with uh, a double horn concerto. And I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that um, some of those tourists to Venice noticed that these girls, in fact, Charles de Brosses says, no instrument can frighten them. And uh, there is no more challenging instrument than the natural horn. And I'm so delighted to have two of Australia's greatest proponents of the natural horn, that's Carla Blackwood and Dore Dixon come uh, and perform this really virtuosic concerto. And it's wonderful that they're both female brass players as well, um, which reflects there's a lovely historical continuity with the past in that respect. So really excited about this program. Well, you'll be in the minority, Erin, in, in a minute. I will. <laughs> I'll be Vivaldi, as it were. <laughs> exactly. Best of luck with the performances and thank you so much again. Thanks, Genevieve.